God bless you. You can be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I began a series of messages from the book of Colossians, and I wanted to ask you to take your Bibles and turn there to Colossians. We're looking at chapter 1, and if I was going to, I gave, I gave this a, a, a firm foundation, but if I was, I, my secondary title to this was Build the Wall. Let's build the wall. You ever heard that before? Probably not. But no, it's a familiar saying, and that's the only reason I didn't use it. I said, oh, ain't going to get political. Listen, build the wall. But I'm thinking, you know what? It's tough to build a wall if you don't have a firm foundation. Matter of fact, I've spoken to people who have built things before, and they, they talk to me a little bit. Matter of fact, I've got a neighbor. He says, you know what? I've got a crack in the foundation. Oh, no. What's that? He says, if I don't get that fixed, the whole corner of my house is going to fall like that. I'm thinking, we need a strong foundation. It kind of fits right in with this book of Colossians, though, because Colossians is a book that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae, and they were experiencing some false teachers that were coming into the church, and they were saying to in the church, in the church, they were saying, you know what? Christ is good, but he's not enough. Well, this is what we've just been singing. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. If Christ is not enough, then what else do you add to that? Nothing that makes any sense at all. And if it wasn't for Christ, then just the other part that we sang about a while ago, the grace of God, for by grace you've been saved through faith, right? Well, listen, if Christ is not enough, then there is no grace. If Christ is not enough, then there is no peace. If, there's, if Christ is not enough, listen, you know what? Then you and I are continually searching for what else is there out there. There's nothing out there that is that equals to the love, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a thing. Paul was writing to this church because of the false teachers who have infiltrated into that church. And he starts out real strong in chapter 1 by saying, listen, I give praise to God and I thank God. And he gives some strong characteristics about this church. He says, I thank the Lord, praying for you always. I thank you for your faith. We've heard about your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm so grateful about that. And then he said this about them. He says, I'm so grateful for the love that you have for one another within the church itself. You take care of each other. You watch over each other. You pray for each other. He goes, I'm so, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. And then he says another thing, though, if you remembered, and that was this. That he says, I also thank God for the, um, for the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope of eternity. The hope of heaven. You know, the hope for the future. And then we get to verse 9, and verse 9 of this, he says this, For this reason we also, uh, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. He says, he says, ever since we've heard your testimony, we pray for you. We pray, and he talks about the different things that he prays for. He says, I pray that you have knowledge. I pray you have wisdom. I pray you have understanding. I pray that you be patient. I pray you be long-suffering. He says, these are the things we're praying for you. Isn't that, you know what? A lot of times we tell people, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I walk away sometimes. I wonder what they're praying about, you know? But what if you said, hey, I'm praying for you that God will help you in the decisions you need to make. What about that one? Or I'm praying for you that God would provide your needs this week. I pray that you would be an encouragement to somebody this week. I pray and tell them why you're praying for them. And that's what Paul's doing here. 
Well, who wouldn't want this to, to be the, the way people would say to us, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that one thing or another. Um, well, he, he says these things. I pray for knowledge. I pray for wisdom. I pray for understanding. I pray that you be persevering. I pray that you be patient. Well, how is that going to happen? Here's how that happens if you have a strong foundation. A strong foundation. In other words, you have a strong foundation established in your life. And because of the foundation that you have in your life, you're able to grow and you're able to make good decisions. You're able to to sense the Spirit of God in your life. You're able to sense peace that passes all understanding. You're able to be discerning. You're able to do so many things. Why? Because you've got that strong foundation. Because of that strong foundation, listen, you know what? I can see falsehood when it, when it come, faces me or when it, when it confronts me. I can say, hey, that's true or that's false. Why? Because of my foundation. And, you know, it behooves us as a church to establish a strong foundation with every person who comes into these doors. With every boy and girl that's meeting on the other end, they need, to be, they need to be taught, preached. They need to be shown examples of what the Word of God is, what it's saying, to help them establish a strong foundation as they go out into the, the schools, as they go out and play, as they go out and live life, as they go out and learn and grow up. They need to have a strong foundation, yes or no? Absolutely. But not only them, but you and I need to be reminded of that strong. What does that strong foundation look like? And Paul now is going to give them uh, some, here's some basic fundamentals. Basic fundamentals. And I want to give you three things because the thing that God got my mind as I was reading through this is, this is not the first time that Paul uses this. Three different times in, these, in the New Testament where Paul's speaking, he uses these three same foundational truths in the messages that he brings in different cities where he's preaching, where we have copy of his messages. These three things, they must be something really interesting or must be something that I need to hold on to. I need to hold on to these things. These must be things that are really important and they must have really struggled. And he's thinking, you know what? If they had just established this foundation, they would not be dealing with the false teachers that are in their church right now. And you know, false teaching, if you don't watch it, they creep in in places where you don't, don't you never thought it'd happen there. And if you, don't, if you don't recognize it and deal with it immediately, you know, the thing is, in dealing with it, sometimes you have to be, say, hey, You're not going to do that here. Hey, you're not teaching that. It's a falsehood. That's contradictory to the Word of God. You say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You need to hurt somebody's feelings every once in a while. It's not always easy, but you've got to hurt somebody's feelings, maybe. And if it calls for it, you say, yeah, you're not doing that. You say, well, couldn't you say a little nicer? I said, yeah, stop it. (laughs) I can say it nicer. But anyway, so anyway, I want you to look at with me in this passage of Scripture. There's three things here. I'll see if you catch them as we read, beginning in verse 13. He's talking about our Heavenly Father, and he says in verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, convened us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created 
through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help me talk and speak with clarity and simplicity. I pray, Father, that everyone here would understand what the message is. And Lord, I pray that it's nothing that's confusing, but everything that is clear and that people walk out of here today and they may not understand or, believe, or, or hear everything I say or remember everything, but I pray, God, that they say, I know what he said. I understand what he said. And Lord, I pray that it'd be honoring and glorifying to you, our Lord and our Savior. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus on, to this earth and dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. And thank you also, Lord, for your holy word. Help us, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's three sections or three things I want to, to leave you with today, and they'll be on the board here. The first point is this. He is God of creation. He is God of redemption, and he's God of the church. Those are the three things that we'll draw out of this. And you say, well, that's so elementary. Absolutely, it's elementary. But you cannot believe how that the Christian faith is attacked because there's been a crack in one of those foundations. It may be number one, number two, or number three, sometimes all three of them. But if we can get this foundation right here and never get off of this foundation, because listen, what Paul's doing here in these four chapters of Colossians, the first two chapters, he deals with the theology of the church. And then the second two, he deals with the practicality of the church. And the first two is, is if we can establish the first two, the family is going to be so much easier to deal with if we can deal with the theology. You understand the true teaching of the word of God. So let's look at the first one there, and that is God of creation. In verse 16, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created in heaven by him. He created all things. You know, Scripture starts out with that very truth, that one truth right there. When I say, do you know a Bible verse? And you may say, well, I don't know a number of Bible verses, but I'll guarantee you the majority, if not most of you, 99% of you, know chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, right? And it says this, ready everybody together, in the beginning God created the heavens. In the beginning, let's say it again, right here he is, it's on the board for you, right? In the beginning... Isn't that something that Scripture starts out right there? That one statement right there is very clear. It's unmistakable that this is what, what happened at the very beginning. It is uh, not an unclear statement. Uh, really, it's a very simple statement. It's a statement that says God created the heaven and the earth. That's how the heavens and the earth were formed or were created. God did it. And he did it all, chapter 1 and 2, he talks about all creation, and he did it in six days, each day having 24 hours in each day. 
He created everything that exists. It is so simple, so clear, unmistakable that even this, I believe if I brought any boy or girl from Children's Church over here, and if I asked them if they understood that, I think every one of them would say, what? Yes! Yes! In the beginning, what did God do? He created heaven and earth. What did God create? Heaven and the earth. When did he do it? In the beginning. See, this one verse answers three main questions. Who? God. What did he do? Create heaven and the earth. When? In the beginning. But yet that one simple statement has been an argument, has become an argument through, uh, through, for years. Well, pre-Darwin, there was not such a big deal. But after Darwin, now everybody's questioning not only that, but a lot of other things within the Bible. So let's establish this one thing. And evidently there was an issue in Colossae. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Come on, church. Let that be solid. Let that be one of the foundational truths that this is a non-negotiable that God created all things. He created them. It was not evolved. It is not evolution. It's the creation of God. There was a secular scientist. His name is Herbert Spencer. And Herbert Spencer was... Uh, well, he received so many awards for his scientific discoveries and his writings. In one of his writings, he, he, he discovered the categories of the knowable, all right? The categories of the knowable. We know things are known for sure if they meet a criteria, and that criteria comes in five different areas, time, force, action, space, and matter, now, you put that to the test with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it looks like this. Time in the beginning. Force, God. Action, he created. The space was the heavens. The matter is the earth. He was an unbeliever. And I don't know if he ever thought about the scriptures when he came up with this. But you know what? I say he's a pretty smart guy. Don't you? Are you with me here this morning? You say, why are you saying this? Because I'll guarantee you evolution and all other types of creation theories are being taught except for this one, the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was reading about a pastor. Uh, I was reading something that a pastor said about this passage of Scripture, and he said this. He goes, he wrote a letter to the top 150 Christian schools, institutions, and ministries, and colleges, universities. And he says, do you believe in the biblical account of creation, Genesis 1 and 2? Over 100 responded and said no. Now, wait a minute. Did I just tell you that was Christian? Did I tell you that was Christian? Christian schools, universities, and ministries? And you know why their reasoning was? They said, we do not major on secondary issues. And for us, that's a secondary issue. We focus on the grace of God. We focus on the goodness of God. We focus on the redemption of God. We focus, and I love that. But what about creation? Why don't we talk about that and say, this is truth. This is the word of God. It's simple. It's clear. 
And he gives us a, hey, in the beginning, God. What did he do? He created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. And you go on through chapter 1 and 2, and he tells us that he formed man in the dust of the earth. And from the rib of man, he created woman. And that's it. Period. God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were, uh, were not made of things which are visible. In other words, he made something from nothing. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, he's God. He's God. And even the very beginning of that verse says, By faith, by faith, all things were, were created by the word of God. We believe it. Hey, listen, we have to believe it. We have to believe this by faith because none of us saw it, right? We have to believe that happened. It really happened. Why? Well, he says it happened. And I believe God. I believe his word. Um, I believe that this is a, a, a major issue in the faith of, of us who are believers. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Simple, plain, clear, uncomplicated, unmistakable in the beginning. John 1, 5 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that uh, has come into being. Or in other words, nothing was made except for what God made Himself. God made it. God made it. Very, very clear, very simple. All things were created by God. Um, you know, the other thing, though, about this is uh, there was a reason why he created and reason why he started, started out by this. But let me ask you this. Wait, let me back up just a second. If you don't believe Genesis 1, 1 or Genesis 1 and 2, where do you start believing Scripture? Isn't that right? You say, well, I don't believe the creation account. Well, where in the Bible do you start believing? And also, what do you do about saying, you know what? You're telling everybody else. There's some places in the scriptures that are not true at all. Well, what are those? What are those areas? Where are those in the area that you say, yeah, I don't believe that. And yeah, I don't believe it. Why don't you write your own version of the Bible then? Listen. By faith, I accept this as the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. And that means Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Evidently, this was an issue. Paul's looking at that church and he says, you know what? From what I heard, you need to get back to basics. And listen, remember this. God created all things. And he not only created things, telling us what he did, but I also think he had a purpose. He never created anything without a purpose. And I think that leads me to the second point, and that is he's the God of redemption. The God of redemption. And when I was growing up, my mother used to collect something, and it was the uh, S&H green stamps. How many did that? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many are still doing that? Lie. <laughs> S&H green stamps. We'd go to the store, and when did they have S&H green stamps up north? No. They, some of them said yes. Oh, yeah. Where y'all? Where y'all lived? Where? 
New Hampshire? Uh, well, she's from New Jersey. That's why they didn't get that yet. <laughs> anyway, New Jersey has missed out on so much. But anyway, uh, anyway uh, um, the greatest thing came out of New Jersey was Chelsea. Isn't that wonderful? Huh? <laughs> I'll make up for that one. Anyway, I, I'm just, here's what happened. You go to the grocery store, and they give you your receipt, and they'll give you some stamps, those little green stamps, and you have a little booklet, and you save those green stamps in a drawer or something like that, and then when you got so many, you'd get them out of the drawer, and, and you'd start licking those stamps, and, and you just, just you lick all those, you know, and you'd put so many to a page, and you get a book, and then you got a, a, a place where you go to, and it was called the SNH Redemption Store. They didn't call it just store. They said the redemption store. <laughs> and you'd go there and buy a toaster, uh, a mixer. And depends on what the item was, how many books you needed. And for anything that was really valuable, you just had to have a lot of books, you know, of course. But anyway, it's just what they did. And, and here they use that word, the redemption store. You know what? The re, when we use that word redemption, your idea is, I'm going to get something. Well, that's what God did. He saw us from heaven. He says, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to get something. No, wait a minute. I'm going to get somebody. And who he went and got is you and me. And he and you and I have been redeemed. We've been redeemed. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, And he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, con, uh, conveyed us into the, uh, convened us to the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption. How was that redemption occur, or how did that happen? Through his blood. Uh, why? For the forgiveness of sin. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. Redeemed. Redeemed. I said God didn't create anything without a purpose. And you begin chapter 1 of Genesis, and it says that there, there God created the heavens and the earth. But then if you go back, and let me get back there so I don't misstate it. And it says this in verse 2, The heaven and earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And verse 3, it's not there right now, but it says this, And God said, Let there be light. I think all creation pointed toward redemption. So many times in the scriptures, we are, especially the New Testament, it talks about turning from darkness into light. How that in John 1, 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In 1 John 1, 5, God is light. In Ephesians 5, 8, in times past, you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of the light. The very beginning of creation, there was darkness. And he says, let there be light. And I think that's just a foretell of what's going to happen in the New Testament because of the redemption that Christ has provided for you and I, that we are now able to come out of the darkness and walk in light. And that light is provided to you and I by the person of Jesus. 
Because he is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't have to add anything to what he is doing, what he's going to do, what he has done. Jesus is enough. He has redeemed us. David said in Psalms 27:1, the Lord is the light of my salvation. He has always had a purpose. And I believe that his purpose throughout history has been to redeem you and me. Redemption. What I'm going to show you here is not all mine. I, I like that, and I kind, of, I, kind of, I kind of transformed it or changed it a little bit. But talk about that redemption. Redemption. There's four things about redemption I want you to know real quickly. The first thing, the first thing is this. Jesus left heaven and entered the marketplace to redeem us. Jesus left heaven, entered the marketplace to redeem us. Now, back in biblical days, there was a place called the market, the slave market. And individuals go in that slave market, and they would be looking for slaves. Terrible thing. Was then, still is. They'd go in, and they'd look for, these, for a slave for a particular reason. And if it was a man, it would be, they'd, they'd put those men up on the auction block, and, uh, and uh, they, 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 would, they sometimes would, would strip him down so that they could see his, his muscles and see his build. And sometimes they would even beat him a little bit and show how strong he was and how tough he was and how he could take a whip. And sometimes they'd go up and they'd open his mouth and see inside his mouth and, and look at his teeth. They would do all types of things just to, to see if that's the one that I want. Jesus left heaven and he went into the slave market where you and I were. That's what he did. He went in the slave market and he saw you and me and he says, I want you. I want you. I want you. You understand what I'm saying? He went in the slave market. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, is that on the board? There you are. And they, yeah, that's not the one I want. And, and I'm sorry, I think it's, I just got the, I think it's chapter 4. But anyway, chapter 4, he tells us that he has redeemed us and talking about the past and what Christ did in the past. Because we're talking about Revelation. Revelation's in the future events. So he says, looking in the past, here's what Christ did. He, redeemed, he went into the marketplace to redeem you and me who were slaves. He left heaven, entered this world of lostness. That's what Jesus did. The second thing about redemption is this. Jesus came and took us out of the marketplace. He took us out of. Over in Galatians uh, chapter, chapter 3 and verse 13, it says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, redemption has to do with Jesus left heaven. He entered into the lostness, entered into the lost world to redeem us. And, and redemption has to do with Jesus coming into the world and taking us out of the marketplace. He didn't leave us in darkness. He took us out of darkness. I'm thinking, I was, thought, uh, I was doing some reading in some other places here, and it's sort of like, you remember the book of Hosea and, 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 the, and Gomer? 
Remember the story of Gomer? And how that Hosea went and, and God said, now I want you to go take a woman of harlotry, a prosecution. I want you to take her. I want you to marry her. And he married her. And after a while, they had children. And she left and went back into to what she knew growing up. And after a time period, he, God told, told his Hosea, he says, now listen, I want you to go get her again. Go get her and bring her out of that. So he went and found her and says, come on, you're coming with me. God told me you're coming back with me. And she went back with him. This is what God did. He came to this world, this sinful, this lostness of this world. He found us. He found us the way we were, sinful, in darkness. Not only did he find us, he says, I'm taking you out of here. I'm taking you out of here. That's redemption. Evidently, the church of Colossae was having a problem with redemption. What did it mean? What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Jesus left heaven to come to this world. Jesus left heaven and he took us out of the darkness of this world. The third thing is this. Jesus came and paid the full price for our redemption. He paid the full price. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 12, listen to what it says. Not by the blood of bulls and calves, but by his own blood, he entered the most holy once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In other words, he paid the price. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, his blood. What did he do? Wash me white as snow. Yes. Jesus came and paid the price for redemption, for my redemption. He paid it all. It was a high price. When Jesus came to the marketplace, he saw you and I standing there. He goes, I want you. What's it going to cost? It's going to cost you your blood. And he was willing to do it. Redemption. I was thinking about the, to this, this passage of Scripture, too, and some reading and different things, and, and somebody just mentioned just the Old Testament Passover. And you remember the Old Testament Passover in uh, Exodus and how that Moses went and asked Pharaoh to let his people go, let God's people go. He says, no, no, and the plagues came. And then the last plague, the angel of death. And the only way to live through the angel of death, there had to be a death. And there had to be application of the blood and everybody who put who killed a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of every house they would be saved from this terrible wrath listen the only way for you for the world to be saved from the wrath of god is through the blood not of a lamb but the lamb the lamb who is jesus it's the only way it's redemption the last thing about redemption, I'll, I'll move my last point, and that is this. His, his full payment of our sin begins our freedom. This is where our freedom begins. When we accept what Jesus Christ has done for us, that's where our freedom begins. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 7, it says this, In Him we have redemption. Not going to have. We have it now. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to His riches of His grace. Because of the grace of God, I am made free. 
I'm free. I'm free from the guilt of the past. I'm free from the sin that maybe affect me, that I may be involved in today. I'm free. I'm free. Why? Because I have been redeemed. Don't let anybody tell you that you are redeemed through Jesus Christ and when they say and, you got and, blurt, turn off, turn off the hearing aid and walk out, all right? Block them out. I am saved by the grace of God and grace of God only. That's it. Evidently, this church was having some issues with false teachers. And they said, let's establish, reestablish the foundation. And the foundation is this God created all things. Not only that, but you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. And how were you redeemed? You were redeemed through Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. That's how you were redeemed. And it's sufficient. Christ is enough. The last thing is this, God uh, of creation, God of redemption, and God of the church. And I, in this, back over in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, uh, he says this. <clears throat> and he is the head of the body, the church. He is head of the body, the church. You know, when we say Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is that? That's you and me, right? You and I who are believers, you and I who are followers of Christ. And if he is head of the church, and there's much written by, about this, whereas uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, we understand that Christ is the head of every man. In, fir, in first, uh, uh, He even said that in Matthew 16, 8, he says, I will build my church. He says, this is my church, and Christ is the head of the church. And if Christ is the head of the church, that means this. He wants and desires to be the head of every individual in this building. He wants to be the head of your life. He wants to be the head of your life. He wants to be the priority in your life. And there must be some times, and I know there are times in your life and my life, that Christ does not have the priority in my life. And some of the decisions I make is because of my selfish desires or because of the way I think things ought to go. And so I'm going to pull the strings to make it happen. And I even never, never, never consult with Christ and ask Him for discernment and help Him make decisions. But what if Christ was the head of your life? What if Christ was the, the priority in your life? He's sitting on the throne of your heart. What if? And how does that happen? Well, one is just by recognizing 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that, you, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? How do we respond to this, that Christ desires to be the head of our life? Here's how we respond in, in James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's how you respond. By constantly submitting your life to Christ, constantly. What about Romans chapter 12? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, the church, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen, if you present your body a living sacrifice, just think about that. That means I'm just, I have, I have <laughs> there's nothing in me. 
I'm just going to give you, here I am. And it, you're not a sacrifice. You say, here I am partly. Here I am, most of me. No, here I am. I'm a sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that present yourselves, your body, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be transformed. Be transformed. The result, the result of, of, of a strong foundation, knowing that this, these are non-negotiables, He's the God of creation. He's the God of redemption. He's the God of the church. In other words, He's the God of your life. The results are a spirit-filled life. The results are discernment. The results are fellowship with the Father. The results are confidence. The results are a biblical worldview. The results are, I'm not guessing on many of the things that I'm faced with because I can understand and I see right from wrong. And I'll respond correctly to it. I don't have to scratch my head. Oh, no, I don't know what. In the light of God of creation, redemption in my body, my life, my church, we ought to be able to make decisions a little bit easier. And we ought to be able to walk through this world a little more confidently. I, I'm pretty confident in my worldview. Why? Because I've got a strong foundation. And I pray that you do too. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the day. I thank you for each one here. I pray, God, asking that you would help us if there's somebody here shaky, they're shaky in their foundation. Maybe they're questioning the scriptures. Maybe it's not Genesis 1-1. Maybe it's somewhere else. Lord, I pray that you would come alongside of them and give them understanding, direct them by your Holy Spirit, bring somebody in their life to pour into them. Lord, Maybe there's somebody shaky in their foundation. Maybe it's in the area of redemption. They don't fully grasp it. Or they think, you know, redemptions, ransom, salvation can happen because of where I am, who I am, because what I've good, my good outraised my bad, because, you know, I'm a nice person. I've never killed anybody. I've never done this. I've never done that. Lord, help them to understand all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Help them to understand, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place to, to ransom us, to deliver us from the slave market. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know he's their Savior today, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation. And then, Lord, maybe, maybe the foundation is a little shaky because... You're really not the Lord of their life. Oh, they're saved. They can tell you how to get to heaven and they're gone. But maybe, maybe, Lord, you're really not the Lord of their life. They're not looking to you. They're not submitting to your Holy Spirit. They're not looking at the scriptures. They have so much, they're so busy, so many other things. God, I pray that you would move into those people's lives. And Lord, I pray that 
they could sense your Holy Spirit working on their hearts. Soften them. And Lord, that they would surrender, submit their will to yours. And that they would allow you to sit on the throne of their hearts. Help them. In just a moment, I'm going to finish this prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll sing a little bit. But if you're shaky in one of those areas, I'm going to invite you to come and just sit here on the front row and let somebody come alongside of you and just pray with you. If you've never trusted Christ or you've been trusting the wrong thing for your salvation, come up. Come on, let us show you from the scriptures how to be saved. If you're shaky in the other two, come up and just let us pray with you. If you'd like to join our church, you're welcome to come during that time as well. Christ be magnified. How is he going to be magnified? I believe Christ is magnified when we recognize that he is God of all gods, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. He's the creator of all things, everything, everything. How is he going to be magnified? We realize that he is the God of redemption. Is going to be magnified in that we surrender our lives to Him. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, our lives today. We love you. We love you. And Lord, I pray that we would be submissive to your leading in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?